take a minute, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. Again, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, for those of you on our, on our Zoom call. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though who, those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And this is the word of the Lord. So it, just as a reminder from previous weeks, Paul has presented his readers with this kind of before and after way. Before, we did whatever our sinful hearts desired. And as a result, we were living under God's wrath. And now he says in the after, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, you have now been justified or made righteous before God. So this bearing of Christ's image and portraying his righteousness has removed God's wrath from you. This doesn't mean we live sinless and perfect lives, but that we are being sanctified. So that means we are continually growing in our Christ-likeness. In, in the previous weeks when Weston started this, Paul has answered two main questions that he's kind of thrown out. And it's, why do I need to be saved? And how can I be spared from God's wrath? Well, he, he answers the first by showing us how we were living under God's wrath. And the second, by pointing us to the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As we move in today's text, kind of the underlying tone or question, if you will, is, if I have been spared from God's wrath through faith in Christ... 
How should I now live? So what is the action? We formerly belonged to Adam, who brought us sin and death, but now belong to Christ, the giver of salvation and life. So if you were here last week, you'll remember that we looked at how Paul contrasted the work of Jesus and the work of Adam. That is, Jesus' obedience to Adam's disobedience. We saw that Jesus' work was far superior than that of Adam. And that he brings us justification and life before God. There was a quote that I read by Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and it goes like this. I want to read it again because it really resonated uh, with what we talked about. It says, Look at yourself in Adam. Though you have done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. So Paul ends his thought last week with stating, The law came so that grace may abound more. So if you remember, we, we talked um, about how Paul started with talking about the law, and then he kind of got onto what looked like a tangent, but then he finished with showing that the law came so that grace may abound. So now Paul, in this set of texts, he says, um, he starts the passage with a, a direct question to his comment about grace abounding due to the establishment of the law. And specifically he says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So the, the question here becomes, does, does grace promote reckless sinning? This is what he's trying to address here. Does grace promote reckless sinning? I can see how one would think Paul is teaching that, hey, we should just go on sinning so that grace can increase, God can increase his his, his grace, the grace of God will be more prevalent in that, but he combats this line of thought with baptism with the deep symbolism that baptism holds. So Paul is showing that really if his readers understood the meaning of baptism, that they wouldn't have asked this question. So Paul explains, should we go on sinning? And he says, no, no, remember your baptism. So that begs the question, how is our baptism something we can rem remember to realize we are to not go on sinning? Well, Paul walks us through answering this question with giving us a deeper understanding to the mystery of baptism through our text today. Um, I would say that many Christians, they, that we really fully don't understand um, baptism or the mystery of baptism. But also, at the same time, it's okay not to understand something in order to fully benefit from it. I mean, after all, who can know the mind of God? We, in our, in our finite minds, we will, never, we will never be able to have all the answers to an infinite God. But we can have shimmers of understanding, and that's what Paul has given us today. So, do you guys remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? If you remember the story, um, Philip, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to go south on the desert road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as he went, he came along a chariot carrying uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. And that eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Well, being moved by the Spirit, Philip was prompted to go over to the chariot. And he heard the eunuch reading the scripture. And he asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch says... How can I unless someone explains it to me? 
And so beginning with that scripture, Philip began to explain to him the good news of Jesus. Well, the story goes that as they continued on, the eunuch um, saw a body of water. And the eunuch says, stop, here's water right here. What prevents me from being baptized? So that right there tells us that Philip, in his gospel presentation to the eunuch, says something about baptism that makes this guy get excited about, hey, let, let's just stop. Well, here it is. Why do I need to wait? So there's something special about the mystery of baptism. And so we see that beautifully portrayed here in this story with the eunuch. So in our text today, Paul shows us that God's grace not only forgives sins, but it delivers us from sinning as he uses the symbolic representation of baptism to explain this. So God's grace does more than justifies us. It sanctifies us. And, and here's a good definition of sanctification. It, it just means holiness or separation. So in the past, God granted us justification, a once-for-all positional holiness in Christ. But now, sanctification, God guides us to maturity, a practical progressive holiness. So what we see in these verses to come is that baptism is a representation of us being united to Christ, and this initiates us into a new slavery to righteousness. That is, the one you obey is who you are a slave to, if you will. So we're going to walk through these scriptures just line by line, and I'm going to put this back up on the board for us here. Uh, those of you that are on the Zoom call, if you would, we're going to start right at the top, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, uh, and we're just going to talk about each of these verses as we go along. So, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, Paul immediately, if you see, he gives us a vehement rejection to this notion of a pass for reckless sinning by stating, by no means. So Paul is setting up his argument by stating that we have died to sin. How can we still live in it? When something is dead, it's, it's no longer alive. So we have died to our old self, the past. How can we live in sin in the future? There's a quote by, or an explanation by Robert Haldane. He explains it well. He says, um, to explain the expression dead to sin as meaning dead to influence and love of sin is entirely erroneous. Paul is referring not to death to the power of sin, but to a death to its guilt. That is to our justification. So again, we're not going to live a perfect sinless life, but to a death to its guilt that is to our justification. So moving into verses 3 and 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness 
of life. So Christ is now showing us that baptism is a representation of us dying with Christ. We were buried with Him and raised in newness of life. It's important for us to understand here, though, that Paul's not teaching baptismal regeneration. So that is baptism. Um, it's not what saves us or it's not required for salvation. He's not teaching this. Leading up to this, he reiterates over and over salvation is by grace through faith. It is a work of God. So how can we desire to continue in reckless sin seeing that we have died to it along with our old self? So with Christ's death, and now we are walking in newness of life, our desire is to obey Christ. It's a condition of the heart. Moving into verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we are united with Christ in baptism. A literal translation would be a likeness of his death or a likeness of his resurrection. A more basic understanding, would an explanation could be for if in baptism we have been conformed to his death, we shall certainly also be conformed in our moral life to his resurrection, that raised in newness of life. And then moving on into verses 6 and 7, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So we see here that our old self, that which was inherited from Adam, has died with Christ so that we may be freed from the guilt of sin. And now we are not enslaved to sin. We are not held by sin's grip. It's not our master. We have a new master in Christ. Jesus was our substitute for the atonement of sin, and we join him in the likeness of his crucifixion. So John Stott says, It is in this sense that our sinful self has been deprived of power, and we have been set free. Now let's, let's look at verses, uh, we're going to read through verses 8 through 11. And it says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in these verses, we see the implication of Christ's resurrection, namely in that we will live with him. Christ, he did not die again after the resurrection. He was raised in new life. And just as Christ was raised in new life, we too share in this newness of life. And so baptism is that symbolic representation of this spiritual phenomenon. We are to now live a life under God, under God 
Our former has passed away, and our new life has begun with the resurrection. When we comprehend that our old life has ended, we are growing and wanting nothing more to do with it. So what do we do? We, we remember our baptism. Paul calls us to stop sinning, remember your baptism. I ran across a really good um, just way to sum this up. Um, it was in, I've referenced John Stott several times. I've, uh, he, he has a really good book called The Message of Romans. And um, in reading that, there was something that he said to kind of sum up some of this. And it, it summed it up in such a way and gave us some good example that I wanted to just read from you uh, his book here, the, the two paragraphs that explain this, because I think it gives us a really good analogy to use to kind of understand what's going on, because we have something that we can see in the physical that is representing something that is actually happening in the spiritual world. So any <clears throat> physical representation that we can have to bring us into a better understanding of what's happening spiritual is good, and I think that's summed up here with this example. So in his book, he says... Can a married woman live as though she were still single? Well, yes, I suppose she could. It's not impossible. But let her remember who she is. Let her feel her wedding ring, the symbol of her new life of union with her husband. And she will want to live accordingly. Can a born-again Christian live as though they were still in their sins? Well, yes, I suppose they could, at least for a while. It's not impossible. But let them remember who they are. Let them recall their baptism, the symbol of their new life of union with Christ. And they will want to live accordingly. So this is um, a good example of just something that we use in our society as a physical symbol of your union a husband and wife, a union together, that, that ring symbolizes. And, and so compare that to that of the spiritual, and we see that baptism is like that ring. It is that, that, that reminds us, let's remember our baptism to remember our union with Christ. He goes on to, to say in the next paragraph, So the major secret of holy living is in the mind. It is knowing that our former self was crucified with Christ and knowing that baptism into Christ is baptism into his death and resurrection and in considering that through Christ we are dead to sin and alive to God. We are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are so integral to our mindset that a return to the old life is unthinkable. Regenerate Christians should no more contemplate a return to unregenerate living than adults to their childhood, married people to their singleness, or discharged prisoners to their prison cell. For our union with Christ has severed us from the old life and committed us to the new. Our baptism stands between the two like a door between two rooms closing on the one and opening on the other. We have died and we have risen. How can we possibly live again in what we have died to? So moving into verses 12 through 14, it says, 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So here we begin to see a call to action. We are to live under God. We are to pursue Him and a life for Him. We have risen with Him to live for His glory. In other words, we are to make a continual, deliberate, and decisive commitment to live for God. So who you obey is your master. If you are continually in pursuit of sin without repentance, you are a slave to it. But instead, we are to present ourselves to God as we have been brought from death to life, seeking to use our bodies as instruments for righteousness. So remember last week we talked about law and grace. Adam and Jesus. Adam and the law was old. Grace and Jesus is is the new. So to be under the law is to be under the curse or condemnation, but to be under grace is for us to realize and grasp our dependence on the work of Christ for salvation, at which point we are justified and set free. Um, And so to, to conclude this morning what brings us into some of the, the action, if you will, of, of what we're seeing here. Um, Colossians gives us really good insight. And, and in closing, I'm just going to read Colossians. Like, what better way to like, give us feet to something in Scripture than to use other Scripture to do that? So rather than me saying, hey, here are some things that we can do, I'm going to look straight to, to Scripture, and Scripture is going to show us a beautiful thing that just sums up what we've just talked about and how we can put action to, um, to this in, in, in remembering our baptism. So for those of you on the Zoom call, if you will open your Bibles to Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If you have a Bible here, I don't have this on the screen. I apologize. I don't have it in the, in the um, slides. Again, that's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So I'm going to read this, and then I will close this out in prayer, and we will come before God in communion. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all 
such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So here's where verse 12, we move into more of this action, like what, what next? It's, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is just a beautiful summation of what we just talked about. So why do I need to be saved? How can I be saved from the wrath of God? And now that I am saved from the wrath of God, what do I do? And Colossians really just sums it up for us. Let's remember our baptism. Let's not go on sinning so that it's, it's, the purpose is not so that grace may abound. Grace is abounding, but that's not the purpose. Remember your baptism. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for today, Lord, and everything that you have wonderfully done. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are so grateful for what you did for us on the cross. For the death that you died once for all. God, help us to remember our baptism, how we were buried with you and raised in newness of life in your resurrection so that we will be free from the guilt of sin because your righteousness is on us. It has been given to us. God, grow us in maturity for you, Lord so that we may know you and delight in you. Father, throughout this week, just remind us of you. Help us to remember our baptism and the work that you have done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.